Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. Very interesting. Uh, I was doing a search on the word scribes and on the words chief priest. To my knowledge, now I did not do a, an extremely diligent check on this, but from what I can see, they're always mentioned together in the New Testament the chief priests and the scribes. Sometimes it'll throw in there the Pharisees, but the chief priests and scribes were obviously uh, they were linked together. Uh, I cannot say, we're going to reference later in the Gospels some references to the chief priests and scribes. I cannot say with certainty that any of the scribes or chief priests that were part of this council to King Herod at Jesus' birth were also part of the council that put him to death. I would say it's very possible. It's possible that if you had a scribe that was 25 or 30 years old, that at 55 or 60 years old, he would have still been around at work, at least present. We know that Annas and Caiaphas were in place as the, uh, the high priest and a chief priest there uh, when Jesus was crucified. Even at the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry, uh, it's Luke 3 that tells us that they were, they were the ones in, in high command in the priestly order and were at Jesus' death. It's very likely that Caiaphas, who was the oldest, would have been in place even at the birth of the Lord Jesus. But I can't say that with authority because my knowledge of Scripture does not clarify that. What I do want to see is that throughout the New Testament, the chief priests and scribes represent a spiritual disposition. That council of people we would call the Sanhedrin, represented uh, they represented a spiritual disposition and an attitude toward the Lord that was consistent from the time of Jesus' birth to the time of His ascension to heaven. The chief priests and scribes never changed as a body of people. There was probably some among them that got saved. But as a, as a group and as a body, they maintained their religious attitude of self-righteousness. And we see that here. What I want to do is see that what was present with this group of men at Jesus' birth led to them later putting him to death. The same group of religious, whether it's the same specific men or people that filled their shoes when they died within 30 years, the same group of men, the same religious council that here could tell Herod where Jesus was born, knowing the scripture, knowing what it would look like to be fulfilled, were the same group of people guilty of his crucifixion later. I believe they represent what we would call today apostates, to be quite honest. Apostates are very familiar with the truth but reject it and yet I also believe there's a practical instruction for us in this. Sometimes some of those belligerent people you'll meet toward the gospel are people that could tell you the gospel as plainly as you could tell them. They are people that could tell you what the Bible says about man being sinful. They are people that could tell you what the Bible says about what is necessary for salvation. I think of a man in this town. His name would be known to a lot of people. Uh, he, yet he is belligerent toward the gospel, a very profane kind of a man, a self-acclaimed uh, humanist, if you would, in his thinking, yet he is extremely familiar with Bible Christianity. 
very familiar with Bible Christianity. At some point in time, there was a decision on his part to not receive Christ. Amen? Now, I would say again, I understand tonight who I'm preaching to, and to my knowledge, each one of you in front of me has a profession of faith, a clear account of when God saved you. Yet even for us, there's a danger of, of, of misunderstanding and misappropriating in our own minds the distinction between knowledge of biblical things and wisdom. I find in this text that the wise men, as they're accounted of here, were wiser than the scribes and Pharisees or the scribes and chief priests, yet they had less knowledge. They had less biblical knowledge but greater spiritual wisdom. Sometimes a child this big has more wisdom than an adult this big. The adult this big may be able to quote and with clarity explain what the Bible says and what it means, but the child is actually willing to act upon it, whereas the adult is not. So I hope tonight we can get some definition by studying these unwise men of what wisdom is. How many of you have, have noticed when... When the wise men are spoken of, number one, my wife and I were talking the other day, where in the world do they get the names for the wise men? Uh, I can't tell you. I know one's supposed to be Balthazar. And, I mean, that's, I don't know how somebody come up with that. It's not in your Bible, that's for sure. But supposedly there's these three, and this is who they were and what they looked like. But it's so intriguing to me. I love Matthew chapter 2. The whole account uh, is so intriguing to me. But when you hear the wise men talked about, what often gets emphasized is re in regard to what people think it means for them to be wise? Most think they're wealthy, but I think most would articulate how educated they were about astronomy. These were obviously astronomists. Well, they did know something of the sky, no doubt. But you realize when the Holy Spirit of God gave account of what wise men are, that's not what he spoke of. What he tells us when we study these wise men is that they were wise, and we dealt with this just briefly today in speaking about it, they were wise enough to respond in faith to the light God gave them. And so with the knowledge and the understanding, I don't think they were ignorant men, that's very clear. They knew how to look at the sky and see and put that together. But somewhere, someone had put them in, 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 um, in familiarity with numbers and the prophecy in numbers about a star that would be the star of this king that would be born. Balaam actually gave the prophecy. And they were familiar with that. It's very likely that somehow through Daniel and Babylon, I believe that is a tremendous likelihood, this is, they were from that part of the world, that they'd come in contact with the things of God and had been, been made aware of the prophecies concerning the coming king. And when they saw this, they were wise enough to connect what the scripture says with what God was doing and to respond. What I find about the wise men is they constantly responded to the truth. They responded correctly to the truth they were given. One of the things that is a tremendous burden on my heart, because I've been raised in church, I have, number one, have to take heed to the warning that I'm preaching to you tonight because of the familiarity with the things of God. But one of the things that burdens me is watching people get used to hearing God's word and becoming indifferent to it in regard to response. And I think it needs to be preached on on a regular basis, therefore I do. I think in our culture, in, our, in America, where we have a tremendous amount of biblical literacy, uh, when you're dealing with multi-generational Christians where we've been raised uh, in a Christian home under the Bible teachings, it is important for us to have a clear definition of what wisdom is. And we're going to help get that tonight by studying some men 
who may have seemed to be wise, but were not. So, I'll give you three things tonight about the chief priests and the scribes. The chief priests and the scribes, and what tells us that they were, they were unwise men. Number one, we begin with their illumination. Their illumination. You have to understand, these men are, are working in the city of Jerusalem. They are working, and obviously Herod had access to them. These are men that had access to the temple. Okay, so this is, would be Herod's temple. Uh, the, he invested a tremendous amount of wealth in beautifying it for his own glory and his own honor after the Romans took over Jerusalem. Nonetheless, they have access to the temple. Certainly these scribes and chief priests had access to the history of the nation of Israel. They had access to the books of Genesis through Malachi. They would have had access to all of that Old Testament scripture. We know that because they quote from Micah chapter 5, and they were extremely familiar with it. So they had access to a number of things that, uh, that, that spoke of God, that spoke of God's greatness, that spoke of God's faithfulness both to bless his people and to judge his people. If you wanted to have a lesson in the faithfulness of God's word, just study the history of the nation of Israel. Study the history of the priesthood alone throughout the scripture. God raising up Aaron as the high priest and the Levites to serve in and around the temple and how God dealt with them. And there were times that there were priests who compromised like Eli and Hophni and Phinehas and how God is no respecter of persons and he dealt with them. Nadab and Abihu had sinned and God dealt with them. Yet there were other priests like Phinehas who stood for God and God blessed him. So just studying the priesthood of alone, just studying your own family history as a chief priest. You had to be a Levite, but to be a chief priest, meaning you were high up in rank and responsibility we find that these men simply through the position they were born into were given a certain amount of light by their birth. Simply by their birth. These are men, again, that were Levites. They had a rich history of God's blessing in their lives. They had a position of service. Again, you go back in the Old Testament, Nadab and Abihu would have been born into such a family. They would have had tremendous access to the law of God. Their father was Aaron. Their uncle was Moses. You move forward and you find uh, Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, had access to the things of God. They lived in and around the tabernacle and ministered about the things of God. They were born into a family that was serving God. These chief priests and scribes were literally born into families that serving God and being busy about the things of God was what you did in your family. It's what you did. Many of us can relate to that. You were born into a home where your parents were already saved or they got saved when you were young at a young age. In this church alone, we have many of us, most of us are part of a multi-generational Christian family, meaning you and I have been born into families to where serving the Lord, being in church, having a familiarity with the things of God is part of our daily life. And so then these men had a position in the house of God that gave them by, again, by their own heritage, they could just study at a family reunion. There would have been more Bible discussed probably than anything else. Here's why. You know what scribes do? They copied scripture. <laughs> you know they did all day long? They wrote scripture. And we're grateful for that. God used scribes to preserve our Bible for us. They didn't have printing presses. They had scribes. How familiar do you think these men were with the Old Testament scriptures? They knew the prophecies concerning the Messiah better than you and me do. You and I do. They, they knew it far better than us because that's what they dealt with every day. 
So their illumination came through their position, but it also came through their possession. They not only were in a position of service in the temple around the things of God, born into a family that was rich in the history of serving God. They had people in their family lineage. They could trace their lineage all the way back to great, 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 great grandpa Aaron and Levi. They go way on back and they could trace it. God had preserved their genealogy to prove they were part of the priesthood. So through their position of service, they had illumination. But through the possession of scripture, they had illumination. They held in their hands the written word of God. All that there was of the written word of God in their day, they had access to it every day. Do you realize the wise men did not have access to what these men did? The wise men didn't have Genesis to Malachi. They didn't have all those books these men did not only access, they could lay their eyes on the scriptures. They had written them out with their own hands. They were more familiar with the written word of God probably than any people in that city. They were more familiar with it than the king. They were more familiar with the written word of God probably than even some of the other people you'll find in the account of scripture around the birth of Jesus Christ. These men had, they possessed the written word of God in their hands. They knew it inside and out. When asked where a promise was at, they could pinpoint it and say, this is it. The scripture bears that witness. When asked, where will he be born? They did not hesitate. Unlike some people in John chapter 7 who couldn't figure out where Jesus was born, these men knew when he is born, this is the city he'll be born in. They knew Bethlehem was the town. So when you put yourself in the, in the shoes of these men, you've heard all your life a Messiah is coming. They had to know the promise of the scepter and the star in Numbers. I believe it's chapter 32. They had to have known. They had to have known that God was going to extend grace to the Gentiles because the Bible promises, Old Testament promises it throughout the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and other places that the Gentiles would be, also would come and that, 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 that God would open up grace to them at some point in time. Those prophecies were there. So when you have some men traveling from the east saying, We've seen his star. He must have been born. And you say, in Bethlehem. Wouldn't you think I'd ring a bell and say, he's been born? But for these guys, it never did anything. But my point is, they, they had knowledge. They had tremendous knowledge through their position as scribes and chief priests, their family position, position of service, through the possession of scriptures, and then through the perception they were given by the witness of other people. They not only had the possession of scriptures in their hand, the position of service that made them familiar with the things of God, and they could see and know the things that God had done. Yet they have these men, as I've already referenced, coming saying, we are aware that God is doing something. We've seen his star in the east. That's a reference to scripture. And we've come to worship him who's born king of the Jews. This should have been enough to convince them to go with the wise men and be wise themselves and go worship the king as well. They had enough knowledge to know not only that Christ would be born, but that he had been born, that, he, that the prophecy was fulfilled. That's their illumination through their position of service, the possession of Scripture, and then the perception they had through the witness and testimony of believers. They had the testimony and the witness. You know what we do know about the wise men? They believed God. So even if the scribes, and even if the chief priests themselves were unbelievers, which they were, did they not have enough light to believe and go worship the king? They did. They had more knowledge of what was going on and should have had than any of the rest. And yet, here's what amazes me, and I, know, I, I feel confident that as the wise men 
just assumed Jerusalem is the place to go. And they went there. When they got to Jerusalem, guess what was not shining anymore? The star. You know what God was doing to Jerusalem? Hiding the birth of his son. The star could not be seen from Jerusalem. If the wise men said, see, look, it's not there. I believe this, and you'll find that. I know this is true. The Bible says so. God at times blinds eyes so they cannot see. How many of you know that's in the Bible? Now, the Bible also makes it clear that he blinds the eyes of those who have eyes and have chosen not to see. How many of you know the Bible says of the Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests, that they would not believe and they would not see, and therefore God would not let them? You'll find this is, this is the same the same line of thought we're referencing, we talk about the fact that Herod wanted to see the Lord Jesus perform some kind of a sign or a miracle. Jesus wouldn't even speak a word to him. He did nothing to convince Herod, I'm the Christ. Nothing. Silent. Pilate said, art thou the king of the Jews? And what was Jesus' answer? Thou hast said. Why did you say? I didn't say it to you. You said it to me. Something made you think I'm the king of the Jews. And then Pilate says, I'm not a Jew. That's your people. And then there came a point where what else did the Lord say to him? Nothing. You know what? On this night in Jerusalem, if the wise men wanted to say, let me show you this, I can't show you the star. It was dark in Jerusalem. Five miles from the birth of Jesus Christ. And in Jerusalem, there was no evidence to any person in authority there that Christ had been born. Had the wise men not showed up, you know what would have happened? Jesus would have been born and no one would have ever heard about it. How so? What turned the lights out in Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that slayest the prophets. How oft would I have gathered thee as a hen doth gather chickens, and ye would not. So God brought his son into the world five miles from Jerusalem without anyone there having a clue it was being done. May I say something? When Jesus comes again, he's going to come, get his own. There's going to be people on earth that won't have a clue what happened. Christ will come and they'll still be mocking and saying he's never going to. And he will have already come and gone as far as catching his people away. Now there'll come a point where he'll come back with us all the way to earth and establish his kingdom. So we're not talking about his full return. We're talking about his catching us up in a way. There'll be people that'll never miss Christians. They'll say there was some kind of an alien. I don't know what they'll say. Alien abduction. I don't know. COVID number two. I don't know what they'll say. I know this. They won't say it was all true. No, no. The Bible says, let me, turn, turn with me if you would. 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. There are those who've decided they would rather believe a lie than the truth. You know what God's going to make sure they do? He's going to make sure they believe a lie. He's going to make sure the truth is not tenable to them, that they are not even willing to consider it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I believe, is where I want to be. 2 Thessalonians. Let's, go, let's read chapter 1 first, and then we're going to skip over there and read a few verses in chapter 2. Bible says in verse 6 of chapter 1, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now let's move down to chapter 2. The Bible says, in verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. 
Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness uh, of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. My point is this. On this night of the Lord Jesus' birth, there's a star over Bethlehem. The, the shepherds saw the angels and heard the angels sing, declaring the birth of Christ, but Jerusalem had no idea that took place. Not on that night. The wise men show up, and when they say that the Savior has been, been born, it takes Herod by complete surprise. You realize it had, already been, it had already happened. Jesus had already been born. The angels had appeared in the sky. They had declared the birth of Christ to the shepherds. The shepherds had gone and worshipped. We know that this is after because Joseph and Mary and the babe are in a house. He's a young child, the Bible calls him, and they're not in the manger and stable anymore. They're now in a house. So the birth of Christ is an event that has already taken place. And yet it was absolutely unknown to the city of Jerusalem. The holy city, the son of God came into the world and the holy city had no idea. And the chief priests and the scribes are a picture of why. They were illuminated with the word of God. They had a position of service that gave them light. They had the possession of scripture that gave them light. They had the perception that this had taken place because somebody who believed it told them. And yet... Uh, we don't find any change. We don't find any record that these men did anything to worship Christ. Let's bring us to point number two. We see their illumination. Number two, we see their indifference. Well, how do we see their indifference? You know what indifference is? Man, something. Did they go look him up to chop his head off? No, Herod did that. Herod was not indifferent. Can we all agree? Herod was not indifferent. Herod wanted Jesus dead immediately. I don't find that the chief priests and scribes, there's no record in Scripture that they were part of the assignment to go take off his head to kill him. But you know what else they didn't do? They didn't go worship him either. They got their Bibles out. They declared the truth of Scripture. They went back to their work. They went on. They went back to copying Scriptures instead of believing it. They went back to telling others what the Scripture meant, but they didn't ever apply it. Faith without works is dead, being alone. So we see their faithlessness. They obviously didn't believe what the wise men said, at least not enough to act upon it. We see their failure. How do we see their failure? By what they did or by what they didn't do? And we all know this. God holds us accountable for what we do not do. God holds us accountable for what we do not do. If we do not act on the knowledge we've been given, there'll be an account given. To whom much is given of the same is much required. You young people here tonight, I know you didn't ask to be born into Christian homes or to be raised in church. I know you didn't ask for that. But you have been. You are accountable for the knowledge you have. James 4, 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We need to think about this. We need to meditate about this idea of what do I know that I'm not acting on? I'm not talking about being sinlessly perfect. I'm talking about, how many of you know you could go worship Christ if you didn't have any gold? You could still go worship him. Mary Magdalene proved that. She took what she had. She did what she could. 
You can go worship Christ without frankincense. You can go worship Christ without myrrh. Mary and Joseph couldn't offer him gold and frankincense and myrrh. All they could offer is their bodies and their homes. And so they did. Amen? The shepherds couldn't offer gold and frankincense and myrrh, but they could go and act upon what they were told. See, the shepherds were as wise as the wise men. But these scribes and Pharisees are unwise men, these scribes and chief priests. Because they knew the Savior had been born, they knew the King of the Jews had been born, and they preferred a false king over the real one. You see, they were in the service of King Herod. When Herod said, come, they acted then, didn't they? You know why? The Bible says later that they sought to kill Jesus because they feared him and they feared the people. Because the people were astonished at Jesus' doctrine these scribes and chief priests were afraid of losing their position with the people. The fear of man bringeth a snare. How many of you know what Herod would have done to these chief priests and scribes if they'd gone and worshipped the newborn king? You don't have to study your Bible far to figure out what he would have done. And so guess what they did? They served the terrorist instead of their creator. Herod's a type of the Antichrist, a type of the devil himself, if you would. No one's going to have supremacy over him. May I say this? You'll either worship the king or you'll worship a false king, but every one of us is going to worship a king. Every one of us. To fail to give the due worship to Jesus Christ that he is worthy of, I can only think of one primary compelling reason these men didn't. They feared Herod more than they feared God. Now, the Bible doesn't outline that clearly, but I think it's not hard to see that in Scripture. That would at least be one reason. And so they failed to do what was right, and yet at the end of the chapter, guess what? They've maintained fellowship with Herod at some level. When he called for them, they came. By the end of the chapter, he has sent to kill every child under two in his kingdom in that area around Bethlehem, trying to annihilate his competition. We don't find that the scribes and Chief priests went and opposed him. I find the Old Testament, there were times that I, I think of a king, he decided he was going to go and offer sacrifice on the altar and the priest came in and said, you're not to do that. And when he went to curse him, God gave him leprosy. I don't find these chief priests saying, you shouldn't do that, Herod. I find John the Baptist saying it a little bit later to a different Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, not the chief priests and scribes, no, no. No, these are more politicians than they are anything else. Self-preservers is what they were. They're not going to give Christ what he was due. Cost is too high. And so we see their faithlessness in their failure to worship Christ and their maintained fellowship with a tyrant. They, they Later, you find the chief priests and scribes working in tandem with a dictatorial Roman government to crucify Jesus. Didn't change in 30 years, did it? <laughs> They established a religion that was based on unbelief and rejection of the Messiah. Their illumination, they had a position that illuminated them. They, they knew and had enough knowledge to know Christ had been born, but their indifference is they didn't go worship him. May I say this, indifference soon turns into indignation. A, a refusal, please hear me tonight, and especially young people, listen, please. If you are indifferent toward the truth, it won't be long before you're indignant toward the truth you cannot stay indifferent long when I was a teenager I knew some young people that heard preaching knew what was right 
There was a point that they weren't against it, but they weren't going to obey it. Today, some of them are on social media railing on the very things they've been taught. Some of them the things that one time they preached. Some of these men need to apologize for having taken an ordination certificate from a church because all they're doing is railing on what they were brought up with. I'm saddened by people, it amazes me, their parents led them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But at some point in time, those parents became foolish and we can't listen to them. And then they went and listened to somebody else who was a little more conducive to the lifestyle they wanted to live. And their indifference turned into indignation. Let's just read a few verses to illustrate this. And again, I, I want to be very careful with the Word of God. I'm not telling you that I know that it was the same scribes or the same chief priests. What I will tell you is it's the same verbiage used in the Bible. The chief priests, the same men that all you find is indifference in Matthew 2 are filled with indignation by Matthew 26. Same group. You know why they are later filled with indignation? Because they sided with the wrong king. They listened to the wrong one. And they, they took sides instead of siding with Christ and they knew he had been born. How many of us can agree the chief priests and scribes when asked, did they know exactly the town he was born in? Wouldn't you think they would at least go to Bethlehem to find out? But they didn't. They never even pursued the truth. No, no, I'm not going to do that. It might mean that he really was born and we'll have to worship him and then we might lose our heads. And No, no, they preferred to stay right where they were and be indifferent. Now look here if you would. Indignation is seen in first their, their continued disbelief. Mark chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. Mark chapter 11, verses 27 and 28 says this about the chief priests and the scribes later on, some 30 years later. Mark 11, 27 and 28. Give me just a moment, I'll get there. The Bible says... And they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And don't you think, even if it's not the same men that counseled Herod, Bethlehem is the place. Even if it's not the same men. You have to realize this is a family thing. That the family, this is the same city. Same city, it's Jerusalem. He's in the temple. He's gone in and turned over the, 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 the tables of the money changers, right? Don't you think dad told the sons, you know, 30 years ago, there was an odd event in Bethlehem. You really think these guys didn't know about the account in Bethlehem? No way they knew. They had to know. But then they're saying, by what authority? You don't want to know. And that's why Jesus asked them, well, I tell you what, you tell me this and I'll answer your question. John's baptism, of heaven or of men? I've gotten to where I think I'm going to ask people that about the Bible. I claim to believe the Bible. Well, is this a book from God or a book from men? Because it's from God, we better just believe everything it says. And if not, eh, this is our authority, it's the word of God, right? When they asked the Lord Jesus in the temple, by what authority doest thou this? Did they really want to know the answer to that question? No, we know the scribes and the chief priests went about constantly trying to catch him and trip him up and disprove that he was who he really was because that would line up with what they had 
believed. So we see their disbelief demonstrated in Mark 11, 27, and 28. We find in Matthew 21, they now have displeasure with him. Matthew chapter 21, verse 15. Matthew 21. This is following the triumphal entry. Matthew chapter 21, verse 15. So after his coming in, uh, in essence, a week before his death, they, you know they were crying, Hosanna. Glory to God in the highest. There were those recognizing him again. Guess what he's being recognized once again as? The king, right? And they have a problem with it, these scribes and chief priests. Matthew 21, verse 15. And when, let me back up just a little bit. Verse 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God. Same, same an, an, a situation as in Mark 11. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, they saw people healed. They saw him demonstrate that he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. So when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and, his, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Don't you know that the Scripture prophesied this? Don't you know who I am? They knew, but they choose not to know. You see, if Jesus was the king that was to be born, that means they're going to have to side with him. And it was made very clear by Caiaphas by the time Jesus was dead. It's better for one man to die than for the nation to be destroyed. So it's better for us to turn him over to the Roman government than for them to think we're, we're planting an uprising and then wipe out the nation of Israel. That's the attitude they had from the onset. Self-preservation. We have to preserve our position in society. We have to preserve our lives here. And Jesus had said, he that will save his life shall... Lose it. You know where those men are today? They're in eternal flame in hell. And they'll be there forever. But it's not because they didn't have opportunity. It's not because they didn't have illumination and light. May I say tonight, the general principle, we're talking about they're, they're not even ever getting saved. But isn't there the, a truth applicable to us tonight? That when we're given light, may I say this, it's far, you'd study your Bible, those who sin against light are far more accountable than those who sin because of darkness. I mean, there are people that are ignorant. Every parent knows this. Little children do stupid things sometimes because they don't know any better. So they have to be taught. My attitude is very different toward a child who does something he shouldn't because I've never told him he shouldn't. It's like, no, no, you, you don't do that. And if you do that again, we're going to have to discipline you. Don't do that. Versus the child who's been told that same thing seven times and been disciplined, and says, I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, that's very different, very different. There's a difference in defiance and ignorance. There's a difference in weakness and willfulness. These men were willful. They had the light. They knew. So we find in their indignation, what you find is it was based in disbelief, which turned into displeasure, which turned into despite Luke chapter 22, verse 2 says, And the chief priests and scribes, same, same position of service, 
same possession of Scripture. They had more witnesses that were believers to confirm that this was truly the Son of God. But instead of believing on Him, instead of accepting the truth they were given, they rejected it. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill Him, for they feared the people. What was the governing principle of their lives? Fear of the Roman government, fear of the crowd, fear of the multitude. This man is causing problems for us. We got to be rid of him. May I say this? Every tyrant in the world is run by fear. Every dictator in the world is manipulated and governed by fear of man rather than fear of God. So it turns into despite. They sought to kill him because they feared the people. And then the Bible tells us in Luke 23, verse 10. Luke 23, verse 10. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. They stood and vehemently, meaning with fervor. Would you say there is a regression over a 30-year period? There is a backwards. Let me show you this. It's what our nation's doing tonight. What was indifference a generation ago is indignation tonight. What was, nah, I don't want to go to church. I'm not really interested in that kind of thing. You Christians are destroying our world. You bunch of haters. Huh? Indifference has turned into indignation. Unbelief turns into defiance against God. Tonight, as a Christian, as a believer, you're going to be confronted with truth that's to, it's intended to govern your life. It's intended to result in decisions of obedience. If it doesn't, it turns into a turning away. It turns into a, a defiance and an indignation, an attitude of despite. We find that even with Saul in the Old Testament where I'm just not going to fulfill God's will completely. It turned into a, a, a desire to murder David. And so then we find a warning in this for us. So we find their disbelief as part of their indignation, their displeasure with the Lord, their despite, and ultimately their destruction. They set out to destroy him. It says, verse uh, Matthew 16, 21, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. He had to suffer of who? The chief priests and scribes. As you read Matthew 2, if you've never read the Bible before, would you read Matthew 2 and recognize that the villain that would ultimately be responsible for the death of Jesus Christ would be the chief priests and scribes. If I read Matthew 2, I'd say it's the Roman government that's going to get him. And they were part of it. But you know what we have starting out is Herod trying to use the chief priests and scribes to kill Jesus. When it's all said and done, it's the chief priests and scribes using the position of the Romans to kill him. Their indifference and rejection of the truth they were given turned into a desire to annihilate the source of that truth. And in the process, they destroyed. But guess who they destroyed? Themselves. Turn if you with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. This is how it applies to the Christian, okay? This is how it applies to us. 2 Peter chapter 3. There's going to be truths in the Bible that we may prefer not to accept because it might mess with our life. 2 Peter chapter 3. It might mess things up. It might be inconvenient. Uh, the Bible says, and we read these scriptures often, but 2 Peter chapter 3, speaking of the writings of the Apostle Paul, the Bible says in verse 15, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, 
Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So instead of walking in the light the scripture gives, they rest the scriptures. They manipulate and twist them. That was, by the way, you study the scribes and the chief priests, they were prone to do that. Jesus said to the Sadducees, you, you know not the scriptures, neither the power of God. You, they were, didn't believe in the resurrection. They twisted the scriptures and misapplied them. And here to the believers, Peter says, there are those who when they come to Paul's writings because they're a little difficult to understand, some of them, they rest them instead of believing them, instead of accepting them as absolute truth. They rest them. They, they, they resist them to their own destruction. Same thing with the chief priests and the scribes. They rejected from the day this group heard of the birth of the Savior. They made a choice. That's a truth that's not for me. I don't want what took place in Bethlehem tonight to be the birth of the king of the Jews because if he is, he's going to mess our entire world up. We have a pretty good system built here and we can't have him destroying our nation. And so what started as, we can see it in Matthew 2, they're just indifferent. They didn't go and try to kill the baby. They didn't go and worship him. But by the time we come to the end of our Lord's life, it's that same group of men who are the instigators of his crucifixion. And the warning to us tonight is be careful what you do with the truth. Be careful what you do with the truth of God. Knowledge is powerful, but knowledge can simply puff up if all it is is I know this and I know that. Knowledge is intended to be turned into actions of faith and obedience. When we study on the flip side of this, the wise people in the account of birth of Christ. You know what? I don't know the depth of scripture that Mary had a hold of. She knew enough to recognize the voice of God and communication from the Lord. I do know this. She was wise enough to say, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. She was wise enough to know that what God was calling her to do would change the rest of her life, and it did. The Bible told her, she was told by prophecy through Simeon, Yea, a sword shall pierce thine own soul. The Bible also says she kept all these things in her heart. She retained them. And you find her at the foot of the cross and you find her in the upper room in Acts chapter 1. She had an unwavering faith in the word of God. The scribes and chief priests, when confronted with the truth of a living Savior, said, mm, we're not going. They could have gone to Bethlehem and worshiped, could they not? But they didn't. They just did nothing. And later... Their indifference became indignation. May God help us to learn from these fools in God's word. Foolish to have the truth and act like it's not true. Let's stand.